0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to EPIC Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua and this is EP Week 2020, episode number four, Crisis and Coffee. On the show today, we drop in on a lively conversation with a group of crisis communicators, emergency managers and others as we put recent events into context and analyze how information is being sent and received during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll hear multiple opinions about what's going well and what isn't in terms of Price's comms, and we even have a special musical performance lined up for you. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. So, a different format for today, we teamed up with our friends at the Center for Crisis and Communications to continue our EP Week series and took a different spin on our prior Coffee with an Emergency Manager episodes. We kind of took over the coffee shop, so to speak. We had a diverse group join us for a webinar chat, and this is just a sampling of our roughly hour-long conversation. Ben Morgan served as our virtual barista, and we were joined by the likes of Jeff Angel, Celine Richter, Peter Ryan, and about 15 other communication and coffee aficionados. So thank you very much to everybody who participated. Now, on to your virtual venti. What
1: well, does see who else pops in the room? We never know. That's kind of one of the fun things about crisis and coffee. You never know who's gonna who's gonna pop in or who's gonna have what to say. Um there is no agenda, there is no script, and really it's just a place for like-minded folks just to come together and have a chat. What's, what's burning, what's a hot topic. Uh, this week is Emergency Preparedness Week in Canada. And uh, so we just thought today we would take Crisis and Coffee and turn it over to Epic Podcast so that they could have a dialogue with whoever happened to join us today. And uh, turn that into a podcast and see just what kind of conversation uh, comes comes from today's group, which is very trusting of them, because we never know, ever know who's gonna be here or what we're gonna talk about.
0: But uh, I think
1: That's i'll pass it to you, Doctor Bazanson
0: All right, sure. yeah, well, welcome everybody. Yeah, th- this is uh, kind of like the uh, the water cooler at the EOC, the virtual water cooler. So we thought we'd just make it a safe space to kind of chat about different things that we're all facing in our various roles. Obviously our focus is in this forum would be with communications and I think from the public health standpoint, there's been a lot of really interesting work going on and some very, very talented people trying to communicate best practices in in a public health emergency. I don't have my Dina Hinshaw shirt on today but I wear it uh, on most days So, and I'm sure many many fellow students of uh, Crisis Comms are, are in her fan club. So maybe I thought I'd just ask a few questions in terms of one of the hardest things I think to communicate sometimes is, is science communications and health communications. Just maybe to get some reflections from what uh, you think has been effective in terms of some of the public health messaging and uh, maybe to start the conversation there. I would throw that to Celine to start.
2: Thank you. I, I think our our senior medical officers have been doing amazing work at expressing compassion for the, the toll that this uh, crisis is taking on individuals, not just in Alberta, but around the world. And so I certainly give a lot of credit as well to uh, Dr. Dina Henshaw and the other uh, medical officers across the country definitely there's been some refining of messaging going forward Um, as a citizen this time uh, previously i worked on the inside uh, on the corporate comms team when sars hit um, hit alberta and our hospitals at covenant health when i managed uh, covenant health communications team then and we had such regular updates and it was always a challenge to to provide updates to our teams across the province to ensure that the, the messaging was up to date and accurate.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me about the uh, just the kind of level of public discourse has been how surprisingly technical some of these conversations are getting. If you look at the daily briefings, which are kind of becoming part of our our new mantra, our new routines is seeing press conferences. You know, a lot of the questions are really getting into some pretty technical areas in terms of screening and epidemiology. And I think the public's literacy in general about public health has just obviously exploded over the past few weeks if you asked people to even name you know who the an moH was in their province and now we're you know having people talk in in all sorts of forms so I think it's it's always a challenge for certainly anybody you know an academic would always say that uh, often the case the answer to these more technical questions is it depends which is a really difficult thing to communicate sometimes and uh, trying to get across the idea of tolerating ambiguity I Point to the example of the, you know, the change with masks. Really interesting pivot point in terms of trying to, how do you communicate with with still maintaining credibility that uh, you're going to, you know, be changing your direction or changing your mind on something because of new evidence that's emerged.
1: You know, Josh, when you, when you first asked the question, you asked about communicating the science. And we had that question asked of us in a, we've done so many webinars. And, and it, it came to me that the whole communication around the mask and how that's changed. And I think, um, it, and it's right in line. So I, I had a really great phone call uh, just a couple of days ago with Dr. Covello, uh And he and uh, Dr. Heyer are currently working for the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. So basically they're supporting all of the heads of health for all of the U.S. states. And Dr. Cabello said to me, he said, this one is most challenging, this pandemic, out of all of the ones that he's been involved in. So Ebola, wisteria, h one n one you name it. This one to him is the most challenging, A, because of the political involvement this time, especially in the US, but B, because he says the science is changing so frequently. And I think from a communications perspective, you know, if you think about that mask example, So it's a very different message to say, wearing masks won't help. Versus at this time, our research suggests that wearing masks won't help protect you. And then that gives you that ability to pivot and to bring in uh, a message that says, hey, you know what? We care about you so much. Your health and safety is so important to us. We have done more and more research around masks and we now know that, or we now believe that. Instead of making absolute statements, no it doesn't, no it doesn't, um, framing it in a way that says the current research or what we know today, informs us that, right? As opposed to just making such concrete, um, this is the way it is. And we got into this conversation and you might appreciate this as a physician, Um, you know, my, my first wife passed away uh, from cancer years ago and in her nine years of, of palliative, well, she was palliative care for three years, but ill for nine years in the palliative phase, those three years, we were told four times, you have two weeks, you have two months, right? And instead of being so definitive, just framing it, that what we're seeing right now, our best guess is... Or we want, we care about you, and so we want to make sure that you understand, here's what we're seeing. Instead of being that definitive, you know, three weeks or masks don't help, frame your messages in such a way that is honest and authentic. And just saying, this is what we know, this is what we know now. And, I, and, and so I think that's really important, especially when it comes uh, to, to scientific messaging, because we as the audience, we're looking to those people to say, does this help? And when they come out and say, no, it doesn't, then we believe you. But then a month later, when you say, actually, then you kind of lose us along the way. So it's just being very careful in how you frame that.
2: Um, One of the things that I think to be successful in communicating during this crisis is also ensuring that we are highlighting, yes, the science, which is imperfect and in progress, but also the values uh, on which we want to build this new evolving reality on. And I think one thing that Dr. Hinshaw has helped highlight and some other of the health officers have been really reinforcing the, the need for calm and kindness for community, uh, for communities to work together to support one another. I think these evolving values that have always been part of the the framework um, that that unites us as a society is something that we really want to ensure is a balance for that science, is in complement to the science. And I'm liking what I'm seeing from leaders, and I think we're on the right path.
0: I would agree with you, uh, Celine, and I think one of the Nice ways that Dr. Henshaw is, is establishing that balance that you speak of is if you notice, she incorporates a lot of stories into her announcements. So she'll make a, a scientific recommendation and her formal public health recommendation, but then she often um, Oreo cookies those between uh, anecdotes. You know, she tells these little stories in the middle that really keeps that human perspective while also having the, the more technical uh, recommendation. Grayson, did you have some questions too that you wanted to posit to our illustrious group? Sure, yeah. The
3: things that I've been hearing, I can definitely relate to, the the difference between communicating scientific data and the meaning behind it for individuals. I still think the the greatest thing that uh, Dina Henshaw did was uh, that lead by example and report out while under isolation. The things that I've been kind of wondering about, because it is Emergency Preparedness Week, are the return to normal. Everyone seems to be pivoting and resuming services and coming back to some semblance of normal life, which uh, was kind of the problem to begin with. Uh, So I'm, I'm wondering what we need to keep, even in terms of communication platforms or the groups that have formed out of this uh, all the way to societal practices what we need to keep in in the future because we all sort of know what we've lost in terms of freedoms and and abilities during covid but uh, uh i can definitely say from you know the healthcare side things like virtual patient care uh it took a pandemic to get that one going i really hope we don't lose it
4: i think um, for events especially um virtual have a virtual aspect to it we have um, what's called pediatric grand rounds every week and um, it would maybe have about 50 physicians come but uh, quite a few of the pediatricians in the community didn't have time to come into the hospital to attend this. So now by having it virtually we have seen the attendance grow. Oh, I think between, it's up to 150 to 200 a week. So, and even with other events where people may not be able to attend in person, but give them the option of participating virtually.
3: I can definitely relate to that. There's been several uh, webinars and, uh, and the COVID uh, rounds that I've only been able to attend because they were made virtual, anything to, to make it more accessible. Although I did see an article recently that uh, that said that watching yourself on a screen is actually one of the most stressful things you can do. So maybe Zoom meetings aren't, <laughs> aren't as uh, de-stressing as they're played out to be.
2: One of the things that I'm mindful of going forward is things like Zoom meetings, exactly, they can be alienating uh, for people who are uncomfortable speaking publicly. Uh, we do know from Dr. Cabello's research that in stressful circumstances, anytime you bring a group of people together, you are on average to, uh, likely to hear from only 15% of that group. So, I think from the perspective of communication going forward, I bet we are going to hear more and more from those groups that have remained silent because there have been barriers to their participating, whether not having a laptop or not feeling confident or not having the language skills to even translate their, their question in a way that they feel they can get across quickly and easily. I'm hopeful that we're not having so many people fall through the gaps, but I think it's something we want to be really mindful of going forward. Part of the problem with Zoom is it's groupthink. It's very hard to interject and it's very hard to disagree. So I, I don't think it's a great medium. I think it's great to get together. I think it's good to listen to different perspectives, but it's not a very interactive medium in my view.
5: Okay, I just, it's Jeff Angel. I'm going to jump in and, and build on um, what Judy and Celine and a number of folks have said, and Grayson, I want to, I want to tackle your question. So a couple of points. One, I think generally the uh, chief medical officers of health are the country have done a very good job however and it's a big however it goes back to what ben said we have a problem with reliable sources and directing people to reliable and appropriate sources if anything this has pandemic has shown in partly what judy said yes we can stay connected electronically but when we're not connected we go electronically to our own Viewpoint, um, and that's not such a great thing. I've I've found, and when the chief medical officers of health, so I'm going to get picky here, but from the point of this, when they came out early on, and all of them said the risk of you of you getting this is low, and it was a very, it was, I understand, it was meant to reassure, uh, but it minimized it, and when you ramp up from that very quickly to we need to stay six feet apart, and we're giving out. $1,500 tickets to people that don't stay six feet apart. That 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 undermines the credibility of of a reliable force. and that has that is having, I believe, dire consequences.
4: Yeah, I'd follow that up, Jeff. A few kind of comments about this continued transparency and authenticity that Ben started off with, with those frames coming, especially between the medical professionals and the politicians, we've seen some kind of battles playing out. I mean, Trump versus Fauci in the States uh, obviously is a huge one. And when we talk about uh, the conspiracy theories being motivated from particular channels, they offer a simple answer and binary think, either yes, I can go out, I'm safe, no, I can't. And when we go a bit beyond that into complex ideas that medicine is based off of it in many cases, Um, keeping those messages simple. We've we've seen that even play out here in Alberta. So we're seeing how if you have a trusted official, the public's going to let people know right away who's trusted, but some of those battles with the reopening messages coming, I think uh, working with a lot of organizations right now, the key thing I'm pushing is, remember, you can tell your clients or customers, we might have to in two weeks go back uh, to complete lockdown um, because of any outbreaks that might occur in the new phase. So keeping that simple message that we've already done this, we know what we're going to go back to uh, coming out from across your organization or whoever you're working with that uh, prepares people mentally for what might happen. And they can say, okay, now I can choose based off of the risk communications coming. But that's a simple message that I've been finding effective with the people I'm working with and seeing come from uh, the medical professionals as well.
1: Joshua, after you finish it up, if we would like,
0: Adriana will play us out again. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, th- yeah, it was a great conversation. And hope everybody stays safe. And uh, thanks for all that you do. Adriana, over to you.
4: Um, my name is Adriana Libidovich. I play second violin in the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra. Last time I was on stage with my colleagues was March 12th for a rehearsal, and the last time that we um, performed a concert was March 8th. Uh, And when I was here a couple weeks ago, I was asked to play and enjoyed it, and got emotional because that was the first time that I heard applause in over a month. Today I'd like to play
2: a little Ukrainian folk song for you.
0: And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. Thanks again to Ben Morgan and Jeff Angel from the Center for Crisis and Communications. Also, everyone else we didn't mention who participated in the talk today. If you'd like to find out more about the center or join in for a weekly chat, just click on the link in our partners section at the bottom of our website, epicpodcast.ca. Also, if you want to send out your support or encouragement to celebrate EP Week and send out a message to other emergency managers across the country, why not send us a quick voice memo on your phone? Email it to team at epicpodcast.ca. You'll be entered to win an epic prize and we'll also include you on one of our future shows. And just before we go, we'd like to thank some of our sponsors. With Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a Pod Power shout out to Rural Roots to Climate Solutions. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is a podcast that dives into agricultural practices that are both good for the farm and good for climate. Hear about the farmers, ranchers, scientists, industry experts, and regular people in Alberta who are leading the way in good land stewardship – and reducing agriculture's carbon footprint. Find Rural Roots to Climate Solutions wherever you get your podcasts or at rr2cs.ca. That's rr, the number two, cs.ca. This episode
3: was also brought to you in part by the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB, and we are a member of this network, as well as many other amazing podcasts, uh, such as the podcast Let's Find Out, who has prepared a clip for you we can listen to right now. Hi, I'm Chris Schengen-Phillips. I host a show called Let's Find Out, where we try to have fun learning about history here in Edmonton. We investigate local myths. Because I think the bridge is so
4: iconic, the fact that they've kind of gone unrecognized. It's a little bit sad. We do
3: taste tests.
0: It's such a good color. Cheers.
3: And right now we're doing a whole season about how humans and nature have shaped each other here in Edmonton.
0: Grizzly bears used to be largely a prairie species as well
3: find us at let'sfindoutpodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
0: You've been listening to an epic podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ETV.
3: As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily
0: represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast.
3: Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant
5: Canadian.